You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. There's a show that we like to watch in our house that we all kind of benefit from, and and maybe you've heard of it. It's called Dora the Explorer. We benefit from it. Uh, It's a show where the main character, Dora, a little girl, along with her companions, Boots, the monkey, and sometimes her cousin, Diego, join together on adventures. And of course, in doing so, they learn lessons along the way, and there's even some Spanish speaking that's happening in it. And in the show, there's a character that helps Dora get to where she needs to go and her and her companions. It's a talking map, a talking map. The, the map's name is the map. Very creative, right? Um, for every adventure, the map sort of shows up as they're going to get going on their, their adventure. And he sings these words to Dora and her friends. And I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry. That would be horrible. But here are the words. If there's a place you got to go, I'm the one you need to know. I'm the map. If you know the song, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. If there's a place you got to get, I can get you there, I bet. I'm the map. I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. The map shows them where there is difficulty and trouble on their path and helps them navigate through that trouble in a good way so that they stay on the right path and and shows them from beginning to end, faithfully just pointing them where they need to go. Ultimately, what is their destination that awaits them? When times get hard and there's uncertainty, what do you do? You look at the map. When you need remembering or reminding of where you're headed, what do you do? You look at the map. The book of Psalms, which is a collection of prayer songs, songs that could be sung or even prayed, are designed to act as a map to guide the Christian's heart towards God as we endure the ups and downs of living in a sin-broken world. The Psalms act as a map for the Christian heart. The Psalms are a part of God's inspired word, and so they guide us by teaching and encouraging us. They teach us about God and ourselves, that he's faithful and good, and he is to be delighted in above all things, and that he is worthy of our praise in each and every circumstance we find ourselves in, and that we are weak and needy, constantly in need of the help of the Lord, and he is constantly and kindly willing to help. The map guides us, teaches us, the Psalms as a map also, they're encouraging to us that we have a God who is faithful, a faithful Savior and King who will bring salvation to us and we will spend eternity with him on that day despite the trouble we face on this day. So in a way, it shows us where we're going and encourages our hearts. That, oh yeah, that's where we're going. This is where I've been. That's where I'm headed. Look at the map. Remember, be encouraged. Stay on the path. Let's go. That is the Psalms. So the Psalms really are, we would say, sort of the tagline for the series, prayer songs for the church to live with the hope of salvation in a sin-broken world. They are the map guiding us on the pathway of praise. We see this even in the way the Psalms are 
are structured. The, the book of Psalms is broken up into five separate sections. And each section, you hear the difficulties of life and hard experiences. Some Psalms are called laments. They are sorrowful songs where they, there is sorrow expressed over the brokenness of the world and sin's brokenness of the trials we experience. Some songs are there's filled with anger. Some songs are, are, are angry against sin and angry against wrongdoing and injustice. Some songs are filled with waiting and crying out to God. So these five sections or five books of the Psalms that make up this whole book, they're broken up and you see all this up and down of trial and difficulty that really matches life for us, right? That's what our lives are like. One day in the morning, it's a great morning. Wednesday, I had a great morning. I got up extra early, met with a brother for breakfast. We're there. It was a wonderful morning. And then I get home and after lunch, I get sick. And then the rest of the day was horrible. I couldn't even sleep. I felt terrible. Days are filled with ups and downs. The Psalms show us that. The the Psalms walk us through that. But yet at the end of every single section, at the end of every book of Psalms, so 1 through 41 and then on, at the end of those, I purposefully, I love this. If you know me and you've, you've been in this church, you know I love things like seeing how the word is pieced together, how God sovereignly puts it all together. It's amazing to me. At the end of every little section, there's a call to praise God. So it's these ups and downs and difficulty and honesty and trouble and trial. And at the end of every section, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise God. This call to praise every section without fail. So, so, It is a pathway of praise. It's even built into the way the books are structured. Even as a whole, the Psalms begin with more laments, with lament Psalms and fewer praise Psalms. But as you make your way through the whole 150 Psalms, you begin to see the the lament Psalms decrease and the praise Psalms increase. So there's this direction of the the Christian life. It, it, It maps the Christian life for us. Because that's what we experience. There's lots of lament. There's been wonderful good that we've experienced, but yet tainted with all this lament and trouble and trial. But yet where we are headed in the end is a place filled with praise, isn't it? Eternity ahead of us is filled with praise. The Psalms follow that. Follow that structure. It's amazing. Amazing. One, I love this. Genesis 1 begins with the tree of life and a stream. And then people are cut off from that in the garden. And then there's trial and difficulty that enters the world, right? All the way until the end, the very end. And, we, and that tree makes another appearance. There's a new garden and there's the stream. And all creation is singing praise at that point. The Psalms are the same. Psalm 1 speaks of a tree by a stream. But then there's this recognition that there's wickedness in the world. And then the Psalms go into lament and trouble and trial all the way until you get to Psalm 148. And the last five Psalms, the Psalm that Jared read for our call to worship, Psalm 148, all creation, all creation sings praise. And it will sing praise on that day. The Psalms are far more strategically put together than we often think, right? Oh, I love it. I love that. I love that. 
where are my notes here? Where are we even on my notes? Psalms 1 and 2 set the stage for the entire book of Psalms. Psalms 1 and 2 are as an introduction. And today we're in Psalm 1, which shows us that there are only two ways to live in this world in response to God. The blessed life, which is the way of the righteous, and the wasted life, which is the way of the wicked. Psalm 1 calls us to live the life that God calls blessed. To live a life that turns from earthly passions and instead delights in God's word and way. And that life is the fruitful and eternally happy life. So with that, let's read Psalm 1 and then we will pray and dig it out. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. And we just confess, Lord, that we are weak and needy people. Lord, we bring all of our thoughts and ideas to the table. And what we really need is we need you to shape us. We need your thoughts. We need to know your word. And Lord, we pray as we come as well, Lord, we come bringing all of our different delights, all the things we delight in. Some of us delighting in good things. Some of us delighting in sinful things. Some of us delighting in good things in a way that it becomes sinful. Lord, we need you to capture our delight today. Capture our delight. Lord, lead us on the pathway of life, the pathway of joy in you. Lead us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Amen. First, first we see... The way of the blessed. The way of the blessed. Notice the word God chose to open the entire book of Psalms with. Blessed. Our God is strategic. Even in the first word, the one word that opens the whole book, blessed. Right away, a declaration is made that this person that's that's being put forth first is blessed. By God. It's this description of being truly happy, but it's a stronger word than how we typically use the word happy, right? We use the word happy for these fleeting things. This, this is this great happiness that they are enjoying the good of God in all of life. This happiness permeates all of life because God has poured on this person his favor. And they are in good relationship with God. And so they are living the good life and are experiencing true happiness. They are blessed. They are blessed. It's as if it's saying, look at this person. 
how truly happy they are. You want true happiness? Look at this direction. Look at this person and follow them. That's the call of Psalm 1, of the very first verse. You want the life of true happiness. Life is filled with trouble and turmoil and difficulty. You want true happiness. Blessed is this man, and I'm going to show you the way. That's the opening lines of Psalm 1. Oh, I love it. I am so glad. When I read this and I consider God, it blows me away. That the holy and mighty God of the universe would choose to open the Psalms, his book of songs, showing us the pathway to true happiness. That's amazing to me. The one who is holy and has every right to point out of humanity, our sinful failures and and how little we are to him and, and just how we deserve to be crushed. You would think we would just start there. But yet God gives this wonderful book of songs to a broken and needy people. And instead, where does he start? He wants to point us to the happy life. Isn't that sweet? of a holy and righteous and good God. He wants to point us to the happy life. I am so tempted so often to think of God as in an opposite way. I'm grateful for what he's done in my life, but I just confess to you, there are so many moments where I can live, and I I know several of you share in this, where it's almost as if we start to view God wrongly, where as if he's the slave driver who's just always angry at us. Always just, oh, just driving us from behind, just whip and go. But yet over and over again, the scripture proves that view of God wrong, doesn't it? And I am so glad. I am so glad. The very first thing he does in the Psalms is he says, come and see. I want to show you the pathway to true happiness. I could just stay brewing on that. Oh my, oh my. Our culture thrives on the pursuit of happiness, doesn't it? Commercials, magazine ads, theme parks, everywhere you look is this call to come and get this, come and buy this, come and dress this way, come and drink this, and you will be happy, right? That's the whole drive of marketing. We want to grab at the affections and happiness of people. But we know that that's a fleeting happiness, It's a fleeting happiness that doesn't last. The Psalms open up pointing us to this pathway of true, lasting happiness. A happiness that we'll see in a moment goes on into eternity. This declaration of the blessed man or this truly happy person is followed by three descriptions in verse one of what they don't do. So you want to be on the pathway of happiness? You don't do these three things. And it has to do, it's connected to thinking, behaving, and belonging. And it's a progression. You'll notice it from walking to standing to then sitting. This three-pronged progression informs how we think, how we act or behave, and then who we belong to. So first, they don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So they aren't pursuing insights for living from the world's way of thinking. The wicked person is literally a person morally corrupt. They're corrupted. They are ungodly. The ungodly's way of thinking isn't molding or informing 
this happy person, this blessed person, isn't molding or informing their way of thinking. And this is harder than ever in the society we live in. This is incredibly difficult. We live in a world where everyone has an opinion or thought on everything. And so many of those opinions and thoughts are being funneled through ungodly minds and hearts, right? You turn on, we go to YouTube to learn all sorts of things now, right? You want to go learn about God and we go to YouTube. You got to be careful. So much of what's being funneled now is coming through ungodly minds and hearts, corrupted minds and hearts. The world wants to shape how we think about things and so then inform how we live. And if we're not careful, we can begin to open our ears more to the counsel of the wicked, the corrupted, or our our way of thinking can actually become more informed by the word of the wayward instead of the word of God. The truly happy person isn't letting that happen. They're not finding their sense of insight and counsel from the corruption of the ungodly world. You have to immediately ask questions when you read these types of things. Where do I find a lot of the insight or wisdom I want to walk in? When I go for counsel about a relationship, am I going to some Joe Schmo who's had three broken relationships, who doesn't love God, why would I go to them? You have to ask the question, where am I getting my counsel for parenting? Understanding God and how to live in this world. Am I getting more counsel from the word of the wayward than I do from the word of God? That's the first one. Second, they don't stand in the way of sinners, which is just another way of saying they're not behaving or doing life the same way the wayward person does. So they're not thinking like the wayward and then so now walking with them or standing with them. The sinner disregards God's instruction for their lives and lives however they want, right? Sin is missing the mark of God's word and way. The sinner is living a life that's constantly missing the mark of what God calls them to live like. Despite the disapproval of God's word, they continue to live in their wayward way. The blessed man isn't joining in thinking and now behaving like the ungodly. Their aim of life is to walk in what God approves. And so then they don't sit in the seat of scoffers. That's the third one. So they're walking, standing, sitting. It's got this progression, right? I'm just walking by and and I've got my ear open to the world to then now I'm standing with the world. Now I'm actually there and I'm kind of partaking in what they're doing to now I'm sitting with them. Now I'm just there. I identify with the world. I'm one at the table. You, you've seen like these shows and movies and maybe you experienced this in school. The, one of the, some of my worst experiences in school were lunchtime cafeteria experiences. You walk into the room and the question as you carry your tray, if you're homeschooled, praise God. Maybe you never had to experience this. You, God has spared your life. I remember walking, getting my whatever, noodles and all kinds of stuff. And I walk into the, you turn the corner and you walk in the cafeteria and the big question is now, Where are you going to sit? Who are you going to sit with? 
And everyone's judging based off where you sit, who you identify with. That's what's happening in those moments. Where am I going to identify myself? Who am I identifying myself with? That's what this is pointing to. Sitting with, in the seat of scoffers. They mock and ridicule God's word and way. The person who's living the blessed life, who's living this truly happy life, spiritually speaking, is not living as one who sits or, in a sense, identifies with those that scoff at God and God's people as if to identify with them and join in with their sinful enjoyments. It's not saying, because I think sometimes we could take this and just translate it oddly. Where it's not saying we can never watch a game with an unbeliever that we can't have an unbeliever at our table, that we can't enjoy something with an unbeliever. It's not saying that, but it is saying that I no longer identify with that. My place of comfort where I'm sitting down, my place of comfort is not among the scoffers of God. I have a new place in the congregation of God's people, right? So that's what this is pointing at. I don't have a seat at that table anymore. Instead, in contrast, verse 2, let's just keep going, tells us just what the blessed and truly happy person enjoys. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. When it talks about the law in the Psalms, or even when it it uses words like precepts, we'll see that in the Psalms, precepts, statutes, teaching, the word, it actually will say the word, the best way for us to understand this of how it's being used is, is as the instruction of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord that's been put before us in these, the books of the Bible that is referring to the instruction, God's word and way that has instructed his people in how to live life and how to worship God and what to believe of God. The blessed and truly happy person delights in the word and way of the Lord. They find joy and pleasure in it. When we delight in something, our hearts genuinely take pleasure and find joy in something we have considered good, right? We consider it good, and so now, man, we're finding joy and pleasure in it, and it satisfies us. (coughs) We often, in our home, use the word delight, typically it's in connection to food, right? That's the Estrada household. Typically, our delighting is in connection to food. We have, <coughs> we have video of our girls when they were little taking a bite of some bean and cheese taco or mac and cheese <clears throat> and just delighting in it. Just before they could even speak, they take a bite and you just, mmm, oh, mm. They're just delighting in it. We still do that as we begin to smell the aroma of what mom is cooking in the house. Oh, the office door opens and oh, it smells wonderful. We're coming down. We just, we delight in food. But when we read these verses and consider how we delight and what we delight in, you can't help but be confronted with, do I delight in the word and way of the Lord like I should? Do I see it that way? Do I taste of it? And I say, I can't wait to taste of it. It's so good for me. And I delight it. I enjoy it. I want more of it. 
I need it. Only it will satisfy me. Nothing else in this world will. Do I partake of it in that way? Do I find joy and take pleasure to consider it good and satisfying to me? Psalm 19.10 says that the instruction of the Lord is to be more desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That's a beautiful description. And it captures that what I just mentioned. The Lord knows we delight in food easily. We delight in things. And food is one of those obvious things. Sweeter than the honeycomb. Do you delight in it? Do I delight in the word and the way of the Lord like this? It's better than gold and sweeter than honey to me. I long to grow in delighting this way. If you've, if you've ever prayed with me, you know, often I repeat that prayer. Lord, I want to grow. I want to delight in you. I want to treasure you more. Because I recognize Often, I'm, when I'm wayward, when I'm desiring things that aren't according to God's word and way, when I'm responding in ways that aren't aligned with God's word and way, often it's because I have a delighting problem. It's because I think that that, whatever that is, will bring me more delight than God's word and way will. In those moments, we have delighting problems. I delight in something God's word and way isn't delighting in. Do we, do I delight in God and in his word and in his way as if it's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey? This delighting is coupled (coughs) with constant meditating upon the word. We often think of meditating as only thinking. It's more than that. At the root of this word to meditate is to murmur. Murmur can be both positive and negative. You know, murmuring when you're, if you're, if you ever taught a class or something and you're hearing someone in the back, like, oh, you know, you're just hearing them talk or something and it's kind of disruptive. But in this way, it's a positive thing. This, this murmuring, this talking, it's speaking to your mind and heart the word of God. Taking in the word by speaking the truths of God's word back to yourself constantly. The Psalms are filled with this type of thing and how it would serve our hearts if we delighted and meditated upon God's word in this way more often, wouldn't it? How it would serve us. Often our hearts, feelings, and emotions drive us. The problem is our hearts, feelings, and emotions aren't always right, right? What we feel isn't always accurate. I don't feel like that. How many, how many times has this happened? I don't think that person likes me. You know, when I was talking, they really weren't paying attention. I don't think they like me. And then the next thing you know, they're showing up with food and they're like, we love you. I love you, brother. <laughs> love you, sister. My emotions were completely wrong. But yet they kind of drive us and move us. So often that's the case. We function as if how I feel about something informs what I think about something. I don't feel like God is near, and so he must not be near. Or I don't feel like what I'm experiencing is good, and so this must not be good. But to meditate upon God's word is to do so in such a way as to speak God's truth to your mind and heart. 
pondering that truth. And so then telling your heart what is true. Telling your heart what is true and demanding that it respond rightly to that truth. And notice that it's a constant practice. Verse 2 says that they're doing this day and night. Telling your mind and heart what is true versus letting your heart decide what is true. They're not driven by their passions. They're driven by God's word. The truly, grab this, precious saints. Because we live in a world that says, follow your heart. Well, what if my heart has really dark things in it? Follow your heart. When the Bible says, stop following your heart and preach to your heart. What God's word says, tell your heart to respond to what's true. And the truly happy person, that's what they're doing. This blessed man, this blessed person who God is having favor upon. They're preaching God's word. They're telling God's word to their heart day and night. They're not being driven by their passions, but they're being driven by God's word. Oh, man, I love that. The pathway to true happiness. Talk to yourself. Talk God's truth to your heart. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you don't know him, go and learn him. He's one of these old pastors and preachers and wrote books. And he, had a, he has a book, Spiritual Depression, which is actually formed out of some uh, sermons that he did. He says this on this topic. Have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So speaking about the psalmist, he says, now this man's re- treatment was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Precious saints, we need more of this. That's what the meditating upon the word of the Lord is. It's, it's not just tucking away, you know, by the river and just thinking. That, that involves some of that. But it's telling your heart what's true day and night. Letting that truth grab hold of your heart and telling the heart, respond to what's true now. I, I've heard this counsel and I just love it. So I heard this from someone and I was able to share this with someone else earlier this week. But how so often we we treat our heart as if they're at the driver's seat and our emotions and, and and it's steering everything about our lives. When the reality is we need to treat our heart like it's a wayward child. It's out of order. And what it's saying in this moment is not accurate. And it needs to be put in its place. It needs to follow what's right. Because all that it has to say isn't always right. And if you've ever parented a child, doesn't that happen? (laughs) It happens a lot. There are moments we have to tell, tell our children, that's not true. And what you're saying is not accurate. You need to walk this way because this is the right way. We need to stop treating our hearts like they're the driver's seat 
at the Indy 500 and it's just driving us around. And we need to treat our hearts like it's the way we're child that needs to be disciplined and put in its place. No, you're going to go this way, heart. That, I believe, is what's at the heart of meditating upon God's word. And oh boy, do I need to grow in this. <laughs> the truly happy person, the blessed person, preaches God's truth to themselves day and night, convincing their heart of what is true. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all he does he prospers. Their life is planted in the word of the Lord. So I love even that description. It's as if it wasn't planted before, but now it's planted. When you plant something, it's been put in. Their life is planted in the word of the Lord. And so their life is like a flourishing and fruitful tree that's planted by a stream that endures and prospers. Where we used to live there was a park, a large park that had this river that ran through it. And, and in this park, they planted tons of pecan trees. And just over the decades, these pecan trees have just grown and they're huge. You can't even hug them. They're massive trees and they just feed their roots. They're just shooting into this river that's right next to them. And they're just growing and they're strong and they're stable. They're flourishing and fruitful and multiplying. And I love walking through that area. I'd love to just walk through there and pray. These trees doing what they're supposed to do, providing shade, providing shelter, multiplying year after year, enduring the difficult seasons of cold and drought, yet always flourishing, growing, and fulfilling their created purpose. So it is with God's people who are planted and rooted in Him as they delight and meditate upon his word, enduring difficult seasons, yet always growing and maturing. They're planted by streams, and so they're stable and secure and well-nourished, flourishing and fruitful for the Lord, producing the good God has intended for us to produce. And so they're prospering. So many people take this prospering of this, and they just go towards the whole prosperity thing, right? Oh, we're going to prosper Riches and wealth, we're going to prosper. What about the poor Christian down the street? They're just as much rooted in the Lord and prospering than the one up on high on the hill. That's not what he's talking about here, right? Prospering in the Lord is this, you're doing what you were created to do. Bring him glory. So you're prospering. You're a fruitful, prospering tree. An apple tree that doesn't produce apples is not a prospering tree. It's going to be cut down. It's unfruitful. We had a plum tree. And I just, for years, it didn't produce anything. And I'm like, I just need to cut that tree down. And then all of a sudden, one year, we come out in the backyard, and it's just plums filling the tree. We had several five-gallon buckets just full of plums. That was a fruitful tree. Producing what it ought to produce. The same is true for the Christian. Plugged in to God. 
plugged into his word and producing what they were created to produce, flourishing in ways they were created to flourish, to bring God glory in this world so that whatever they put their hands to, it's prospering in the form of Christ is being exalted. Their joy is in the Lord. They're delighting in him and treasuring him above all things. That is prospering. Like little fruitful trees doing what they're created to do. I love that. Even when you consider that a fruitful tree isn't serving itself. It exists for the benefit of everyone else, right? That's a fruitful tree. Fruitful tree exists so that someone can come and partake of it. The Christian life exists to be fruitful for the Lord the benefit and good of the Lord and for those around us to come and partake of God when they partake of us. I think that's a otherworldly way of thinking through this song. Far better than those pecan trees whose leaves fall in the winter. Their leaf doesn't wither. There is always life flowing to them and in them. I know Christians who are suffering right now, but they're not withering. I know Christians who have a really tight bank account, but they're prospering. From what we see in verses five and six is that they're ever flowing life, this ever flowing joy and life in them will carry on into eternity. That it is as an eternally flowing life that at the judgment, when all people are brought before the Lord, those who walked in the way of the Lord and did not stand in the way of sinners in this life will then stand before the Lord as a congregation of the righteous in the life to come. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, it says. To to be known by the Lord is more than him knowing about us. There is affection tied to this word of knowing and intimacy. He knows them. He cares about them. He loves them. They belong to them. He identifies with them. He delights in them. Oh, isn't that beautiful? It's It's almost this bookend. Those, oh boy, there we go. Those who delight in the Lord in this life, yet face all sorts of difficulty for delighting in the Lord. They become outcasts and maybe even persecuted. Yet in eternity, the Lord turns and he says, but I know you. And it's such a beautiful word of intimacy. It's a delighting in in them. As we delight in him, there's a day where we will know his delight in us. What a sweet truth that is. Oh my, he delights in those that are his. Oh, oh boy. But this psalm also reminds us, so that's our longest point, right? But this psalm also reminds us that that it's not so for everyone. That's not the case for everybody. Verse four, the wicked are not so. The wicked are not so, it says. This is our second and much shorter point. The way of the wicked. The wicked do 
what the righteous don't do. Their, their way of thinking and behaving and belonging isn't motivated by delighting and meditating upon the word and the way of God. They are those who do walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers. Their hearts are corrupt, delighting and enjoying in that which is opposite of God's instruction. They aren't bridling their hearts, feelings, and passions by meditating upon the word of God and speaking the truth of God to their hearts day and night. Instead, they're driven by their passions and give into their wayward passions day and night. Their way is not one of flourishing life and fruitfulness for the Lord, characterized as blessed and happy, but a wasted life that is dead and dry, barren of any good fruit, failing to produce that which they were created to produce, which is to bring God glory. So then they're headed to ruin as an unfruitful, dead, dry thing. Instead of being like a tree planted, stable and secure, they're described like chaff that the wind blows away. The chaff would be the the dead, dry pieces of worthless stuff during the harvest and as they would thresh out the grain, that it's as if they would toss it up and the heavier stuff, which was the good stuff, would fall to the ground. But as they would toss it up, the dead, dry stuff, the wind would just come and drive it away. Just drive it away. So that all that would be left is the good. The Bible says, well, and on top of that, whatever may fall, whatever dead, dry, worthless stuff that does fall to the ground, you know what's done with it? Typically it'd be gathered and burnt. The Bible says that is the way of the wicked. Dead, dry, worthless. Headed for ruin. And it's not worthless in the way of there's no value to their life. There is great value being created by God. It's worthless in the sense that they're an unfruitful tree. They're not bearing life and, and producing what they were created to produce. Though now, at times, it seems that they may prosper because they get what they want or they have lots of things, which many people would, de- would define that as prospering. But in the end, their life is proven to be without true happiness, no matter how great they may be considered in this life or how well Off they may appear, according to Scripture, it's a wasted and worthless life headed towards ultimate ruin. They may stand now in the way of sinners, living their best life now, delighting in sin, but according to verses 5 and 6, they will not stand in the judgment of God and among the congregation of the righteous. They will perish. Notice that. Notice that little play on words that the psalm does. They stand among the sinners, but yet at the judgment, they will not stand. They won't be standing anymore. They won't stand in the congregation of the saints as we gather and we sing praise to our God for His grace. They won't be standing any longer. Perishing, cut down like an unfruitful tree. Oh, dear. Now, here's the reality as we close this. As we've walked through these verses, we've seen two pathways, the way of the blessed and the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous and the way of the wayward. But who of us, left to ourselves, could ever truly walk out the way of the righteous? Here's where it gets dangerous for us. 
When we go and we open up our Bibles and we open up to even the Psalms, because sometimes we do this, we open up to the, New, the Old Testament and we disconnect it from Christ. And we can even do that with the Psalms. And so then we put ourselves in this role, like, okay, we are called to be the, the blessed man. We, the, the, it is putting before us, this is the pathway of life that we need to be on. And so we need to aim towards that. But the reality is, is as we look at that, who has done that perfectly? Who of us has truly been the blessed man? Who of us truly and purely delights in the Lord like we should? I think the answer would be none of us. So who can truly be on this pathway of true happiness, which is the pathway of righteousness? Who can truly be brought into the congregation of the righteous? Who of us could ever truly be on that path? When the reality is we start out on the path of the wicked. I do stand in the way of sinners. I do sit at the sea of scoffers or I have. So who? How? How can we know the way? This way of the righteous. Romans 3 says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Do you hear the language? The same language. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So who can truly walk in this pathway of righteousness that leads to true happiness? Who? Well, that leads us to our third and conclusion of the sermon. The way of the Savior. The way of the Savior. Jesus is the true and better blessed man of Psalm 1. Did you think that when you you first read this? Jesus is the true and better blessed man of Psalm 1. Jesus fulfilled this role so that those who by faith follow him may walk in his way. The disciples in John 14, they asked Jesus, how can we know the way? How can we know the way, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can we know the way, Jesus? You almost, we almost join in with the disciples when we read this. How can we know the way, Jesus? How can we know the way? And Jesus, the echoes into eternity. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus alone perfectly resisted living in the way of the wicked, even being tempted by the devil himself to forsake the pathway of righteousness Yet he perfectly delighted and meditated upon the word and way of God. Jesus even quoted the word back to Satan himself in the wilderness. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Day and night, he constantly was abiding in the instruction of God, flourishing and faithful and fruitful. But not only would he be like a tree, planted by streams of water. But 1 Peter 2.24 says, He bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Not only would He be like a tree planted by streams of water, but Peter tells us, O precious saints, He bore our sins in His body on the tree to make you righteous. Oh my goodness, 
Jesus, the truly righteous one, would live a perfectly obedient life, delighting in God, resisting sin on his way to the tree made into a cross where he died a sinner's death as if he were the wicked man. As if he were the wicked man of Psalm 1. In order to make the truly wicked ones, us, righteous. How amazing is that, precious saints? And so, as we delight in Jesus, the Word made flesh, and put our faith in Him and His saving work as His blood that flowed from that tree like a give life-giving stream, rooting ourselves in Him. And in that stream, we find ourselves declared righteous, brought into the congregation of the righteous, and welcomed into the way of the righteous. The pathway brought on, almost as if he's grabbed us and has brought us on to this pathway to true happiness. The pathway to true happiness opened to us through the saving work of Jesus. And so we say, how can we know the way, Jesus? How can we know the way of the righteous man, the blessed way of true happiness? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Oh, praise God. Let's stand and let's pray.